You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, and welcome to today's RSA Conference podcast. This is Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference. Over the past few months, security teams have been working to mitigate the risks of the expanded remote workforce. The reality is, though, that employers can't protect against threats to the home offices of their employees without some help. So today, we're talking with industry experts who are more consumer-focused so that we, are, as remote employees, can not only understand how to better protect the businesses we work for, but also keep our home network secure. Maria and John, please take a moment to introduce yourself. Thanks, Casey. My name is Maria Rarasich, and I'm the Senior Director of Product Testing at Consumer Reports, which means I oversee the teams responsible for testing and rating many products from kitchen appliances to outdoor equipment to consumer electronics. Thanks for having me. This is John Dixon. I'm a principal at Denim Group. I've been a security professional for a little bit over 20 years, ex-Air Force person, ex-KPMG person and uh, have both experience on the consumer side, testing IoT devices, but also helping our clients secure uh, their workforces and have ourselves had to work from home for the last two months. So, you know, in addition to working and, you know, conducting business, also protecting ourselves at the same time. So we have lots of war stories. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for being here. John, I want to start with you so that we can get an understanding of why we need to be having this conversation in the first place. What are the security risks posed by the remote workforce? Is it the routers, IoT devices, using or not using a VPN? What are the biggest threats? Uh, it, it really depends on the companies for which they work. Uh, we've seen some companies that have provided dedicated laptops dedicated phones, so they kind of control the devices themselves. If it's mobile devices, they control them via mobile device management. So there's a a much more granular control and visibility and understanding, and they might even control updates and the ability to patch devices. So obviously, if you have those devices and they're introduced into home networks, that is one particular scenario. And that's, that's probably the most common scenario that you see. The other scenario that you see is people using their personal computers and personal computing devices or tablets to access corporate resources. That's like probably a little bit more open for, uh, you know, uh, less than ideal behavior. And then you start to pick up some of the, the, the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of the potential endpoints or workstations. The good news, though, is that consumerism and consumer IT has been leaking into IT for really the past 10 years in the form of iPads, iPhones, and, you know, Android devices. So, I mean, we've inherited, you know, a, a large amount of effort to secure those devices. That security of... Uh, personal devices, MDM, you know, the BYOD uh, culture has actually helped us as we shifted from the controlled environment of an office to a less than controlled uh, world of, you know, working from home. Now, the interesting thing, though, is you start to see a series of practices and a series of, of I think all of us are, are worried about distractions on the home front, myself included, during this particular podcast, hoping that the kids are are quiet for the next hour or so. But uh, mm-hmm. in addition to distractions, what you have is this challenge of 
uh, you're in a unique world now. So what we see is the attackers also trying to adapt their social engineering approaches to go after individuals. You know, business email compromise, obviously ransomware. So let me give you a great example of that. Um, I got yesterday a series of uh, emails that were notifying me that I had a voicemail, and it was a total fish. It was a different voicemail system than what we have, but it looked completely legit and says, hey, you have a voicemail at your landline at your work office, which probably worked if you had the exact same phone system or used to that message. It wasn't the same. It was different, and it was easily flagged on my end. Uh, but the other thing we start seeing is, is again, the social engineering tactics of the attackers starting to adapt and adjust to have more sophisticated attacks against a work-from-home world. So uh, that's, that's another thing that we're seeing is not only the, the hardware, the personal devices, but like the, the resilience of the employees themselves obviously are a big factor. So that's, that's in a nutshell. There's, you know, I haven't done justice to any of this, but it's a good start for the conversation. Yeah, it's a pretty big nutshell. <laughs> so there's a lot to consider, right? And, um, John, I do want to throw a question at you that isn't on the script. So if you don't have an answer to this, that's okay. We can just skip and move forward. But I'm wondering if, let's say, my refrigerator is hacked and that's connected to my home network, does that then pose a threat to a work-issued device that I am using for business purposes? I mean, it, it can. Uh, I mean, any type of leverage that a attacker has in the you know, environment represents a foothold. You know, that to some degree can be mitigated by VPNing in from your work device uh, by doing two-factor authentication uh, when you are, you know, accessing remotely. So that, that, that can be mitigated. But, yeah, anytime you have a foothold, uh, in any type of network, that represents a risk. And, and what happens then at that point is if an employee makes a mistake, then you do have exposure. And so I don't want to, you know, make people too paranoid because obviously on the IoT side, you know, the first and foremost thing to do is to change default passwords. That solves the vast majority of, of risk there. But yeah, I mean, like it, it can. Uh, it's not the most likely scenario. I mean, there's easier scenarios for attackers to use, like just direct, you know, phishing um, uh, to, uh, and, you know, so that that's a, a bit of a uh, advanced attack, but yeah, it could happen. Okay. And Maria, I think this is a great transition into the work that you do. I know you work on evaluating consumer products. So can you share with the listeners what you've discovered in Consumer Reports Initiative that's focused on the testing of IoT devices? Sure. So uh, historically, Consumer Reports test products, right? We test hardware, and we rate these products um, comparatively in order to give consumers a choice, an informed choice about which products perform better or worse. Uh, we've been seeing, you know, more and more of the products coming into our labs now include software as well. They're smart or connected to the internet. They're internet of things. And we find that consumers are not always aware of what kind of personal data those devices may collect or what security and privacy risks are involved. And they don't know how to protect themselves either. So, you know, we try to give some information about that and give some guidance on those items. This topic really applies not only to the Internet of Things things themselves, but also the apps that are used to control them, and also just mobile apps and digital services in general. Everybody's online life right now. 
so interesting. Yeah, all of these things that you need to consider. So we have an idea of the risk to the business, an idea, a better idea of security concerns in not only the IoT devices, but the apps themselves, as you say. But these concerns existed pre-pandemic. So, John, how does Vanpoint change in a work-from-home world? Well, I mean, like, the, the, the big joke is that this is the world's largest business continuity disaster recovery exercise all at <laughs> once. So you have everybody doing this all at the same time. And there are things that broke that people didn't anticipate. And I would say, you know, things like uh, VPN concentrators, um, you know, certain companies didn't have laptops for everybody. We were lucky in that probably about three or four years ago, uh, we had an ice storm down in Texas where we're based, and it had a big impact. So we decided to buy laptops for everybody, everybody. And so working from home was just a transition. It wasn't a big deal. Um, but what we realized is that there were things that processes that broke, and we had to compensate for them. So things like email were pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, most of us had transitioned to the cloud. Uh, most of corporate America has gone from in-house servers to O365. So that that was pretty straightforward. The worrisome areas are, again, the endpoint itself, like like instead of accessing O365 from a dedicated device, this is email on a Microsoft platform or Google Docs or whatever, I'm doing it now from a home computer. I kind of inherit any of the risks there. Um, you know, the kind of worst case scenario would be a keylogger uh, that has been dropped on that particular home device that you can start to harvest things. And if you, you, if you make mistakes like password uh, sharing or password reuse, then again, the tax service starts to jump up. So that's, that's what people worry about. Uh, again, mitigated by stronger authentication, two-factor authentication uh, by default. There's things that you can do to push that out. What I worry about is the two things that affect every organization, which are business email compromise and ransomware. And again, the, the sophisticated scenarios around it's less security, more like really sophisticated fraud. And the stuff that we've seen in the corporate environments now are highly contextual. And so what I've recommended to clients is to do highly focused training, particularly to their finance staff or finance folks, their controllers, people that handle money and checks, and to maybe update their uh, business processes to do certain uh, validation, out-of-channel validation things that were already happening, you know, because of business email compromise. And again, this bleeds in from like cybersecurity into, you know, controls and financial controls. But we see that stuff happening. It just has accelerated that and made it more of a imperative to do. So the good news is when we're all back in the office, whenever the heck that is, uh, we will have a much more resilient and somewhat paranoid workforce, which is good for security. Sure. And, you know, it is it is an imperative, which is why we're having this conversation today, right? Because you're right, hopefully someday we'll be back in the office, but we don't really know when that is. So in the meantime, where people are continuing to work remotely and, you know, there are so many connected devices in a home that are host to hundreds of different apps. Maria, what can remote employees do to protect their own personal data and privacy on their IoT devices? 
So the most important guidelines that I give to everyone about all of their connected devices, whether they're using them for work or personal use, is one, keep them updated to the latest software version because these will normally give you security fixes. And two, use complex, unique passwords on your account. Don't reuse the same password from multiple accounts. Some other tips are pay attention to what personal data is asking you for and decide whether you want it to know that data or not. So for example... If an app is requesting access to your contact list, does it need that information to do the function you want? If it's a messaging app, maybe it does, but maybe not if it's a shopping app. Same thing with your IoT devices. If a smart TV asks you to enter your zip code when you set it up, why does it need to know that? If it uses it to give you a channel guide for your area, you can just as well give it a nearby zip code, but maybe not your actual zip code. You'll still get the same benefit of giving it a zip code, but not revealing what your actual zip code is. Now, the other thing I want to say is that we need to pay special attention to the routers because they transmit all of the data that flows in and out of your home, and they're a gateway, right, into your home network. So for those, I really want to stress that everybody should make sure that automatic updates is turned on or if your router doesn't have an automatic update feature to make sure they periodically check for updated software and install it. Like maybe every three months they should check that. One thing that is very important about routers, if your router is no longer getting updates, it's possible that it's not being supported by the manufacturer anymore. And that means you won't be getting security fixes. And since there's always new vulnerabilities being found, new exploits being discovered, Um, there's always new security fixes coming out. If you're not getting those, you're not protected anymore. And if your router is no longer being supported, then you're really going to need to buy a new router. As much as you may not want to do that, you need to do it. It's a very important access point for your network. Um, The other point is routers typically ship with default passwords that are used to set up the device. These are sometimes on a label on the device, sometimes on the box, and sometimes they're listed online so that anybody really could find them. So you have to make sure that you change both passwords. There's a password for the device settings for the router, but there's also a password for the Wi-Fi network, which is the one you're typically used to using. You need to change both those passwords. You need to change them to different passwords (laughs) as as each other. Um, You should also change the default SSID. That's the name of your Wi-Fi network. So if you leave the default name, it, it could reveal the router's brand or the router's model, and that could also help an attacker know how to get in because they may know certain vulnerabilities for that particular model. So you want to change that default SSID. This way, they don't really know what you have there. Um, So those are some basic tips, Uh, passwords and software updates, and then uh, pay attention to your data, then pay those special attention to your router with automatic updates, default passwords, change default passwords, and change the SSID. Yeah, Maria, I would just say you and I have not met, but I agree 100% with everything you said. Uh, That is an area of opaqueness for most customers or most consumers is that, but I agree if you don't know, just put default updates on uh, and hope for the best. Yeah. I, I think the concept of resilience that, that has started in corporate America must must certainly bleed into the consumer side. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, you have to think a particular way. Password reuse is still, you know, common use passwords is still something that, you know, hits everybody. I, You know, I've joked about this, too. Like, when you have the common secrets, you know, I, I don't use true stuff. I mean, when they asked me what my first car was, it was a Lamborghini. 
You know, I went to pass, I went to my high school was Ridgemont High. You know, like I'm joking. Those are actually not the ones that I've used. But my point is, is that uh, you do have to think differently now. And I do think that cybersecurity has become part of everybody's personal toolkits. And this has just accelerated that working from home. I mean, like you have to, you know, password reuse. I'll just tell another story here. Don't use a a password in the English dictionary or a variant of that. The password crackers that are out there can, you know, crush through Mm -hmm. computationally the hashed versions of those passwords in in a matter of time. We did a, uh, this is now like 20 years ago, did a, uh, you know, password cracking exercise in our backyard down in the San Antonio and Austin area. And like a third of the passwords for this company were Spurs, Cowboys, Longhorns, and Aggies. Like, like the entire, and that took like 20 minutes. And it's like, that was just the easy ones. So, I mean, this stuff matters now. And if you worry, you know, worry about identity theft, worry about being that person in your company that clicks on the link. I, I think the other thing I would just reiterate with what Maria said is, yeah, this resiliency is important, but also your own intuition is your best guide. If it looks odd and looks weird and looks slightly, it probably is. And that's where, you know, you just get into a series of habits that are different. You don't click on links. You don't assume this is from so-and-so. You don't, you just change the way you interact with your systems, and that serves you well at home and at work. When it comes to the routers, the actual password that you use for your device settings on your router, so the, the, the keys to that kingdom, right? That's a very important password, and it really should be pretty complicated in all the different ways you can make a, a, a password complicated. So one thing about that, though, is people make passwords not complicated because they want to remember them. But when it comes to your router, yeah. you're not going to access that very much, right? There is no harm in writing that one down and keeping it in your house because who's going to see it? Somebody who's in your house, yeah. maybe, right? I put it in a put secret in a place secret in our house. So, like, like, like if somebody yeah. breaks into my house and has enough time to look through all my house to find that secret place that just our wife and I know, then I have bigger problems than the password of my router <laughs> at that point. Exactly. You know? And so, uh, so what we do is the most critical ones, which we also have 2FA on, um, the banking ones, the investment ones, the router, the stuff like, like, like probably six or seven. We write down... We have the shared secrets that are not real, and we put them in a place that my wife and I know. But it's not a, it's not on a sticky at our home office. It's in some other place that we both know. Now, everything else, the 200-odd other passwords I use, you know, I use a password vaulting application. And those also, I don't set defaults. I don't use the same ones. I also don't let the browsers save the passwords, and I do auth on all of them, which is painful at times. Uh, but, you know, necessary. One other thing that people should also pay attention to is, like, if you do write down a password, since everyone's using video conferencing applications, be aware of what's in your background of the video conferencing applications. You don't want to have a a bulletin board back there that you've uh, tacked your passwords onto and that somebody could read. So you need to look for that, not only for that reason, but also any type of social engineering type of uh, attacks. These are all really good points, and so many of the things that you've mentioned are parts of a really good awareness program that security teams have probably already implemented. But, John, I wanted to ask you, is there anything else 
from a security awareness and training perspective that security teams can be doing right now to raise awareness about home-crafted social engineering attacks? And what would that training look like in addition to or maybe just inclusive of everything that you've already said? And who's in charge of it? Well, let me start with the at the end. I mean, whoever it's typically the information security or cybersecurity person, but our awareness person. But I, I would say, like most organizations, use some kind of phishing service now. Uh, but those are generic. I would have tailored scenarios that tailor towards, you know, the work from home uh, environment and tailored to the environment that they're in and be more contextual. Uh, like you said, the other training around, which is more kind of. Uh, very specific uh, to the finance people around business processes and how they authorize wire transfers and things like that. That was already happening, again, probably worth uh, mixing in some scenarios that are uh, driven off of our current scenario. Uh, you know, And like w- one thing that happened on our end is that we changed how we process checks. You know, We realized there was a few things that were different in the work-from-home world with our banks. So we had to go do those and then add some kind of what we call compensating controls. Uh, so I, I think the money is the important thing. Uh, I also think guys like us have to keep track of the evolving uh, space daily, daily. And here's why. The, the attacking community is still sitting back and adapting attacks. The obvious things that came out in March, April are pretty easy to figure out. Like I, I gave you that scenario about the uh, voicemail. I looked at it, I was like, we don't have that system. My suspicion is the attacks will adapt, will become more savvy. There will be vulnerabilities that, uh, additional vulnerabilities that come out of these systems. So it, it just makes our jobs uh, that much trickier. But I would already say the, the idea of the enterprise and, and, and having kind of a, a castle wall around it was long gone anyway with remote workers and cloud-based services. So I mean, we already were there from a computer and networking standpoint. We we have just accelerated that, and now we're working in a in a different world that we just have to be acutely aware of. Absolutely, and you know what would be super helpful is if Gmail or Yahoo or any of those big email providers were to do the phishing training simulations for the consumer email, right? So we get them at work, but we don't really think about how they apply to our personal lives. And that kind of ongoing training for consumers would be so advantageous. But Maria, I'm wondering, I've often heard, and I'm sure you have as well, you know, I have nothing to hide. I I don't care if my information's exposed. I don't need to worry about changing my password or, you know, being really attentive to threats. So what role can employers play in helping their remote workforce understand the importance of protecting their data and privacy? And what additional resources, not specifically from the employer, are available to help consumers understand the basics of protecting their data? So employers can provide, you know, some general education for employees regarding things like creating strong passwords and learning how to avoid these phishing attacks or social engineering attacks. And they can explain why it's important, but also in a way where it relates it to their personal lives, right? They can point out that these uh, measures aren't just to protect the workplace, but they're useful for people to know anyway. Um, And 
I think employers can also provide tools for their employees, such as a password manager, password vault, or a VPN. They need to make sure that these tools are easy to use and that the guidelines are easy to follow and not just an obstacle for the employees working from home. People need to feel that these are measures that they can take and they become very natural to them. They can feel empowered by them, right? And not just that it's something that they must do. Um, you also asked about additional resources. Um, so there's several good guides online um, that are published, and people can use these to, again, protect all of their online activity, not just related to what they do for work. Uh, a couple of sources I could recommend. One is um, Security Planner. That's at securityplanner.org. It's got some very nice tips for people to use to protect themselves. And also, we at Consumer Reports publish articles with instructions on protecting data privacy and online security. We're adding things to that all the time. And to find those, you could do a search for Consumer Reports Digital Security. That will get you to a webpage we have that's uh, titled Guide to Digital Security and Privacy. And that links to all of the content that we're producing on this topic. And, and I just want to add, I read that as a security person, I read that because, I mean, like, the That's problem that we have is that it, the world changes so quickly. Devices come out, things are apps and all that. And so, you know, I'm a corporate security person, but I also am a consumer. So I absolutely read that and value their opinion because uh, Consumer Reports has a bit of a, uh, you know, a perspective that's not day in, day out like guys like me who are just you know, kind of in the trenches out in corporate America, bouncing from one, you know, incident to another. I, I, I do value that. I do I just double down on that thought of, you know, being much more curious and much more interested in this particular topic as consumers. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear yeah. you say that. And, you know, what we try to do is make sure that we can explain things to the consumers in a way where people can understand it and that they cannot be afraid of it and that they can do something about it. And that's what we try to do with our with our content. Yeah. The other thing is that smarter consumers will demand better product from manufacturers. And I would, you know, go so far as to use the airbag metaphor where airbags used to be a feature now I would say that people with children would be, you know, they look for side airbags and airbags as a is not only a minimum feature of the of a, of a car, but like, you know, that wasn't a thing that consumers, car buyers, twenty or thirty years thought about because it didn't exist. But I think as consumers become more savvy and ask for better and more secure products, the marketplace will respond, and much of that savviness is derived from what their experiences in the corporate world. Yes. And we also tried to give some information on that. We're, we're including privacy and security aspects into some of our ratings as of now in order to hopefully give people the information they need so they could perhaps select the products that are more considerate of their privacy and security, and that could hopefully move the market as well. Those are all great points, and I 100% agree. And I think conversations like these are super important from the industry to bring consumers in to understand why security is so important. John, you've mentioned a couple times two-factor authentication. I just want to go back and visit that really quickly. Can you explain to the listeners why it is important to ensure two-factor authentication is implemented in all of the cloud services that are happening from the home? Well, you know, phishing specifically is just such a broad area of attack surface that I think that's it's become now basic. A basic building block component is if you 
can't trust your perimeter or your perimeter doesn't exist anymore and you've got people working remote from home, setting policies around how you access your corporate resources in a secure fashion is, and, and the two-factor one really makes it so that you're not just purely relying on a simple username and password string as the the one and only defense of your organization. I mean, that's the, the way to look at it is you've got like 16 plus characters that are protecting your whole organization. That adds some, you know, uh, that adds a level of protection. And I think unless you're worried about the nation state owning the telco, you know, having some SMS-based, uh, you know, two-factor is certainly at this state probably much better than anything else. So I, I think having it with your mission-critical or business-critical, you know, CRM with the HR systems and, I mean, like demanding it of your providers. I think, like I said, uh, you know, O365, Google Docs, Google in general, you know, they're really, really good at this. Salesforce, really good at it. Uh, the enterprise systems where you get off into the little, like, timekeeping apps or some of the HR support apps or some of the medical support apps that are out there that <clears throat> timekeeping apps. And I'm like, wow, these guys don't have anything. Are they, you know, you reset your password and they give you your temporary password and email. So, you know, your choice there is to give them a hard time or switch providers, but at least the big ones have been pretty solid and offer capabilities. Now, most people use them for, you know, two-factor authentication for banks. And so by exception, you should raise your hand and say, why don't we have that for this app? And, and I, I just think it's now the first and most critical line of defense, uh, given the work-from-home world we live in. Great. Thanks for explaining that. I have another question for both of you. Maria, let's start with you. If you could give consumers, remote workers, one piece of advice, do this, not that, to better secure your home networks and devices, what would it be? Well, if they could do only one thing, it should be to keep the software updated. Don't just set up a device and never touch it again. Always make sure that it's got updated software. John, what about you? I would say don't don't accept one thing as the only thing you would do. That'd be the first bit of advice. But if you gave me only one thing to do, it would be then <laughs> not use pa- not use not use common password. Password reuse. I think updating and getting password reuse. If I had to pick the top two. Uh, that would be it, you know. But that is highly unfair. Just one. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, I think that we've covered a lot of them. And just listening to the conversation as a consumer, I felt like my takeaway was change that darn router password. So um, so I think the routers are super important just so you know what I've taken away from the conversation as a consumer. And I hope others have taken all of the points that we've made away and not just that one piece of advice because you're absolutely right, John. One piece of advice is certainly not enough when it comes to securing your networks and devices. John and Maria, this has been a great conversation. Do you have any parting words for our listeners? I would say trust your intuition. If it looks weird, it probably is. And I'd say be aware of your personal data and online security. And if you're not already doing the things we mentioned today, just start doing them one at a time. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. And any protections you add are better than not doing them. So don't be afraid of the new devices, but make conscious decisions and make sure they're working for you and not you for them. Those are great closing comments, so thank you so much. 
John, Maria, I appreciate you joining us today. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more RSA Conference podcast series. We'll catch you next time.